Welcome to Beyond the Sales Floor. I'm your host, Morgan J. Ingram. And what we're going to be doing is unveiling and unpacking sales playbooks from enterprise sales leaders. I got the pleasure of interviewing Carson Heady at Microsoft, head of the social selling and sales team over there. And this was an incredible interview because I learned a lot about how to get in front of your buyer personas with social selling with little tips that I've never heard of before in his playbook to do that. And you're going to learn about his famous, famous saying, which is plays that get you paid. So y'all are going to get paid today on this episode with these plays and hope you enjoy it. Carson, what is going on? Uh, excited to have you here on the episode. And what we're going to be diving into first is where we always start to kick off. What is something that you're experimenting with right now that you're really excited about when it comes to top of the funnel and your prospecting? Love it. Morgan, good to see you again, my friend. It's been a while. Um, you know, this is my favorite time of year. So it's the beginning of our fiscal year. So we're in full prospecting mode. And um, every year I spend a lot of time studying what works, what doesn't, what do I need to double down on and what do I need to get rid of? And so, um, you know, really getting laser focused around our play execution. Um, I've created a plan with my team. This is our experiment called Plays That Get You Paid. And in essence, what it means is I go around to every person that touches our market, there's 80 in total, and I want to understand how do they get paid? What are their key metrics? Uh, what's going to move the needle the most? If I'm able to create dialogue with our customers that leads to specific wins in their purview, what's going to move the needle the most for them? And so uh, what we do... I think there's a lot of sellers that will um, execute a play and they think a play is I'm going to send an email to a customer and then I'm going to move on with my life and I'm going to get wrapped up in all the noise. But no, we actually develop a grid and a framework. Um, so it's very targeted prospecting in certain cases uh, because some of these are very surgical and then some of them are very scale. Right. So there's things that we can construct around newsletters and webinars um, so that we can develop a demand generation engine for specific types of leads and around some of the conversations that our team mm. wants to be having. So we've built that around all the pillars of what customers want to talk about and frankly, what resonates with them. So right now we're we're working with plays to get you paid. Uh, we've developed a full grid and framework to really do relationship heat mapping and uh, track play execution. Plays that get you paid. What, who came up with the name? <laughs> I did. I, you know, it, I like to have these uh, fun little zippy. We, we are very acronym heavy here at Microsoft. Mm. So we always like to have these fun little zippy names for things. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that. So you already started diving into it, but could you tell me about the top level overview strategy when it comes to Microsoft's outbound strategy and how you're leading your team, especially on the social selling side? No doubt about it. So, you know, really, Morgan, the way that I would also say that there's it, it's always in evolution, right? Because we're always trying to listen and meet our customers where they are at Microsoft. So, um, you know, what I mean by that is several years ago, the way we were segmented was very account based, uh, very geography based. Um, but over time, as we've been able to um, have meaningful impact in multiple different industry verticals, uh, we continue to not only verticalize, but sub verticalize. And I'll give you an example. So I've been in the healthcare channel for about four years here at Microsoft. And when we first formed healthcare or healthcare focus, I mean, it was not uncommon for one person to have a very large scale territory. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not effective necessarily when you're um, you know, finding all these niches and, and nuances in the industry. And so we've learned from that and we've continued to evolve. Um, 
just in recent years, we've formed sub-verticals like payer and provider and uh, you know the electronic medical record organizations, some of our partners that sell into the provider space, and then the group that I'm in, uh, which is our pharma and med tech. So we work with a lot of the med device customers and things of that stature. So a lot more vertical based than ever before. Now you asked about some of the social selling elements. And you know what's funny about this is when I started doing social selling about a decade ago, um, I, you know, I came into Microsoft, I was recruited for a brand new role, and social selling was an anomaly. I remember, you know, people saying, you know, I'm not sure what Carson's doing. He says he's out prospecting on LinkedIn. Um, I was building community around what we did because I was not technically savvy. My background was in advertising and telecommunications. I'm just a sales guy, right? Um, and then I, but I started to really be intentional about building community around what we were doing. And um, our team was number one in the world out of St. Louis, eight quarters in a row out of 120 markets, uh, which is unheard of, but it only mm -hmm. happened because of this diligent social selling process that we were doing um, to go out and find the relationships we needed and to uh, develop and nurture relationships. And so um, lo and behold, I started being asked to train groups. Uh, those groups got bigger and bigger. You know, we were training markets, uh, then we were training countries. Um, now I'm in the digital sales training that all sellers and managers are required to take in Microsoft. I helped co-author it and I'm featured. And I have a small cameo appearance in the uh, the movie that uh, they that they planned there, which is kind of cool. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, the social selling strategy is really about um, what we like to call getting into other rooms of the house. I created this to solve a problem, Morgan. It was years ago, and I remember our executives. I was sitting at a at an event that we did in Vegas. And I remember them talking about, you know, our biggest problem is we're stuck in IT and procurement. We've got to get into these other rooms of the house to really drive transformation with our customers. And I was thinking to myself, well, my goodness, these other rooms of the house, these business leaders are probably on LinkedIn for the most part. So I just started developing something that I felt had a mathematical probability of success. If I reach out to enough influencers and their influencers, I can eventually create that groundswell of influence within the organization. And I'll give you one last example. The biggest deal I've ever gotten from social selling here, uh, I reached out to over 500 people in one organization, um, had well over 200 uh, regular connections and contacts, and ultimately ended up with a nine-figure deal because I got the president. Uh, I was in his office the following week after taking over the account, met him on LinkedIn, gave him a copy of my CEO's book, highlighted some passages that I felt would resonate. And they weren't even thinking about us. They were thinking about the other guys. But we were able to show them what we had from a resource and an investment perspective. And that's what won. So our strategy around social is getting into the other rooms of the house so that we can execute our plays with the right stakeholders in the right way. No, I, I love the thing that you mentioned, getting the other rooms of the house. I've never heard of that before. I think that's a great way of talking about it. I want to latch on to that a little bit more because you mentioned LinkedIn is typically where people are going to live. Microsoft, obviously the alignment with that, but are there other channels that you saw success with when it comes to social selling? Yeah, that's, I love the question. So, you know, look, as a seller, I think great sellers, we have to gravitate toward things that are going to arm us with the information and the knowledge that we need in order to show up with value to our target customers. And then the next question is, where's, where's your target customer? Right. So for me, LinkedIn was an obvious one to go out and find these customers. But unless I had something meaningful to say, why in the world would they want to talk to me? Well, the value that I realized that I could bring was I could help demystify a lot of what they already owned. 
Um, you see, when I started calling on, on Microsoft customers at the beginning, the logo didn't open the door for me automatically. A lot of people were like, hey, you're one of the biggest checks we write um, or we're with this competitor and we're not even thinking about you. Um, and so the logo didn't immediately open the door for me. So I had to realize, you know, where are these folks and how can I show up with perspective? So I'm going out, I'm subscribing to business journals when I covered the St. Louis market. I'm subscribing to email alerts. Um, I'm subscribing to um, every industry trade magazine I can find. I've been in healthcare the last several years. Uh, I subscribe to six different healthcare uh, online publications so that I always have information at my fingertips. And if I see something, I can be proactive rather than reactive. If I see that there's M&A, if I see there's a C-level change, that helps me be actionable. And you can see these things any number of places. Sales Navigator is huge because you can cultivate your own feed. Uh, but some of my greatest deals were when I saw a new executive was named and I was first in his office amongst all the competitors. Uh, my favorite one was when they were looking at, six, they had six different silos of their business and all yeah. six were with different cloud companies. And I managed to get first in his office. He was moving from another state. I offered to help him uh, in looking for a place to live and a place to you know send his kids. And um, got in his office the next week. We were talking shop. I aligned with what he was looking to do from a business perspective. I asked him to describe his perfect partner. And I just lived by that. And I would always remind him of that conversation. So uh, those are the types of things that I think are super important. Think about where your customers are and intentionally be there. Think about where they're getting information and intentionally be there. And the last thing I would say I've learned a lot about this year is the power of commenting on your target prospects posts. Going out on LinkedIn and engaging. I've gotten more meetings this year, meetings that nobody could get just by going out and commenting on their posts. Don't ask for the meeting right away. You know, let that nurture for a little bit so you build that that brand familiarity. They knew who I was right. and even traded book recommendations with these senior executives of target prospect companies in their posts and then months later asked for the meeting and got it. I think that's a really good call out that you had. And a lot of people don't realize this. And yeah, maybe your prospects aren't posting and you're not commenting. That's fair. But this is something to pay attention to because there's probably people in your space that are posting. Latch onto that, get known. And other people that are viewing that post will also see your comments. It's not just the person that you're commenting on. It's the people that see that comment too. So I think that's a good call out. Now, before we go into like how you're tracking this for success, I want to go back real quick. I know that you're leading a team and you're also selling. So you're in a very unique spot for your team. How do you segment segment the team? Is it everyone is just any vertical or there multiple verticals? Like how are you looking at your team? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way that things are structured today, um, you know, I have a team of sellers and technical specialists. And then there's also folks that are our extended team. So I have peers that lead teams that support us from a different solution area. So obviously Microsoft's a big multifaceted organization, right? There's several different buckets where our teams are compensated from applications to cloud to, you know, Office 365, right? So each of those has a seller or sellers that are dedicated to our market. So the way that that's segmented, when we sub-verticalized, we made the very conscious decision to say, hey, it's not going to be in our best interest in developing some of these customer relationships if I've got the same guy calling on the payers, the providers, 
the med device companies, the electronic medical record companies in a given day. Let's get really good in some of these specialized areas. So that's the beauty of the team today is that they are segmented by what sub-vertical are they calling on? And that helps us get really good around what we're trying to accomplish. No, I, I love that piece. And so what you're trying to accomplish is obviously you have metrics that you're looking to hit. If someone's looking at social selling, they may be like, okay, Carson, do I make like two posts a day? Do I do like five comments a day and call it quits? Like, how are you gauging these metrics when these social channels are a little bit harder to gauge? Yeah, that's a that's really important question. So um, first off, we've got a full playbook grid. You know, I kind of borrowed this concept from a couple of people that I worked with when I was an account executive and I replicated it with my team. And the goal was not to create a spreadsheet for spreadsheet's sake, because I think there's a lot of tools. There's sometimes some discombobulation that happens when there's too much noise. So the goal was to create something that we would reference every day, you know, like the ID code of a customer or who some of the key partners were uh, or where, where's the white space, right? Having that all in a grid so that we can check it every day and I can go down my list and say, what do I need to do, right? Um, we'll track relationship heat mapping. Um, that's going to be key. I task my team every year with saying, hey, who are the key relationships that we're going to need in order to do what we want to do? And you made an astute point, Morgan, because frankly, not all of our target prospects are out there posting. But guess what? Just because those influencers aren't posting, their influencers might be. So that's how you create that groundswell of influence. I may not be able to get my target prospect, that CEO, CFO, sure. CISO right out of the gate, but I guarantee you I can get their VP or their deputy or somebody else on the board. And eventually I can get to whomever I want. Um, I've done it many, many times over the years. So I think that's important is tracking the relationships. Do we have the relationships that we need to win? Next, uh, progress on executing key plays. As I mentioned, I go to my team and the reason that it's called plays to get you paid, that gets their attention. If they know that I'm out there prospecting to do things that are going to get them paid, guess what? They're going to want to help me do that. So um, I'm going to track how we're progressing relative to these plays. So we construct a play and that could be, you know, we send, uh, you know, an email out with some smart links embedded in it so I can get some telemetry off who clicks what. It could be a webinar that I do. It could be a newsletter. I've even gone so far as to having customer executives on my own podcasts um, and, and doing that to develop the relationship. We're not talking about selling anything, mm. but guess what happens as a result of that is that now they start to take a look. We, we talk shop and we might embark on doing some kind of pilot or proof of concept based on what fits in their purview because now we have a relationship. So uh, exactly. looking at any way that we can execute those plays. And then I would say I would break it down even further by uh, play executed. You know, when did we execute? What are the responses that we got? Um, leads that have come from these outreaches like webinars and newsletters. What's the fi follow-up activity? And then pipeline generated. It all comes down to outcomes. Yeah, I I, I like the way that you're looking at the entire organization and seeing what you can do to dive into that and get the most out of those relationships. Um, kind of want to dive deeper into this before we shift to something different. When you're looking at these relationships that you're developing through social and things of that nature, you're getting them on the podcast, et cetera. There are people probably that want to do this strategy. What suggestions would you give sellers, sales leaders, that are looking to get their pipeline on podcasts and maybe they don't run a podcast. Yep. You said something earlier that resonated with me, Morgan, and it was about the fact that, you know, how do we start? Do we go out and we just make a couple of posts? Do we mm. do this and that? 
I've never had anybody send me a PO to my LinkedIn because I made a stellar post. <laughs> stellar posts are important because they build brand awareness. And guess what? Your target prospect, they're going to research you. And so you do want to make sure that it's you're posting things that are commensurate with your brand. What do you want to be known for? But you also want to be intentional about thinking, how can I leverage my strengths, my passions, my unique superpowers to make my customer a winner or my team a winner? That's what it's all about. Because guess what? If your customer wins, you win. If your team wins, you win. So I go out and I try to figure out how can I deliver a win for these people? That may not always be the obvious thing. It may not be cutting their costs. It might be, I can amplify their message. I didn't have a podcast either. Um, in fact, I kind of rebuffed the term. I remember yeah. it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I was actually uh, commiserating with a friend of mine. I was like, man, I really miss just sitting around talking about sales and leadership yep. because it was in the beginning of the pandemic and we couldn't see anybody. And then I realized I can do that with anyone at any time, anywhere in the world. There's power in that. So I started just recording conversations and posting them. Provocative questions intended to start a conversation with my audience. And people were reacting and responding, you know, through the roof. And it was amazing that people would start asking me, can I be on your podcast? I'm like, I don't have a podcast and I don't want to use that term because it implies commitment. Right. But then eventually I embraced it and I started thinking about this podcast isn't about me. It's it, selfishly, it's so that I can learn from all of these other people that have this unique perspective. So I've used my podcast as a conduit to learning. And I think that's the key element is look at what you're passionate about, what you like to do. Maybe you're not comfortable with video. Frankly, I wasn't years ago, but mm. you know, start to think about mediums that are available to you that you're comfortable with that could engage target audience and just try things. Put one foot in front of the other, Take a balcony view. I like to take uh, to tell people to take a step back and really th be intentional about what you're looking to achieve. Um, but those types of things, I think, can really engage an audience in ways that you may not even be thinking about today. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that breakdown, and it, it, we kind of want to get into something deeper, which is like, what is your like best advice? Something that super insightful you want to give to sellers right now when it comes to outbound uh, to refine their strategy. Yeah. First off, look at your strategy. Um, you know, what's working? <laughs> yeah, because most people probably aren't doing that. That's a good point. It's so true. You know, I, I'm very intentional every year about studying. I am a student of selling, right? You know what I loved most about some of the greatest competitors of all time? This year, I've read Winning and Relentless by Tim Grover. And he, used, he trained Michael Jordan. Oh, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal books. And you know what it really got me ingrained in, Morgan, was being a student of the game. You've got to study what works what doesn't. And I don't care how fun the stuff that doesn't work is, you got to get rid of it if you want to be successful. And so studying the stuff that works and really leaning into that, what I've been intentional about doing this year is looking at, okay, I've got built-in compelling events, right? With customers, I've got renewal actions. So I know that I need to first off, th that's guaranteed revenue, most likely in a lot of cases to some degree. How can I maximize those events? Because the customer is budgeting for something here. How can I make sure that I'm mapping things out from a timeline perspective to anything that is going to happen? Next up, how do I create compelling events? What's going to be the dialogue and the talk track? What do your customers want to talk about? Because they guaranteed do not want to just talk about everything that you think is great about your organization or your product or anything of that nature. They want to talk about what matters to them. And I've isolated four key pillars that have really helped me uh, to get any conversation I want. Optimizing their costs and their, their expenditures, optimizing their security posture, 
What can they do around generative AI, which has a lot of ringing bells right now? Everybody wants to talk about Gen AI. And then how can we partner better? How can we sell together in the market? If I use those four, I can get any conversation that I want. So think about what are those door opener conversations? What is going to guarantee get the door open? And this may not be obvious or may not be easy, but as you start having conversations with customers, the ones that will talk to you, listen, listen intently. And then when you approach other customers, you can say, hey, this is what my customers are telling me, that there's a lot of focus right now on optimizing and controlling and cutting costs. So I would think price protection for you into the future would be advantageous. Would you agree? That's a door opener right there. So being intentional about those types of things. Um, the other element is it's all about relationships and resources. What are the resources that you can bring to bear and what are the relationships that you need in order to be successful? You almost need to simplify your outbound strategy and really be diligent about figuring out the relationships and the resources, the people and the processes that you need to execute to perfection in order to be successful. Um, and then the last thing I would say is just how much I've learned this year about commenting on uh, target prospects posts, how much I've learned about how you can take some of those door opener messages and turn them into a newsletter, turn them into a webinar. Don't just run a play once. If you think it's a great play, you got to figure out 10 different ways of running that play. Of Who's course. the partner I can go in with? You know, I, I even have relationships with competitors that are so good that because look, my job is to be an advocate for my customer, an evangelist of my brand, mm -hmm. but I am trying every day to earn the right to be my customer's trusted advisor. I will go so far as to recommend, heck, I'll introduce my friend at the competitor if I'm not the fit. And you know what that does is that every time that customer comes to me, they know they're going to get the straight answer. They know right. I'm going to take good care of them. So being intentional about those elements when it comes to your outbound strategy, think about all the people you need in the boat with you, internal, partners, customers. Think about all the ways that you can engage meaningfully, all of those people and how you can deliver wins to them. First, you got to find out what is a win to them. But if you're intentional about all of those things, you can't lose. Yeah, I, I love the breakdowns. I think anyone could do that moving forward. And we've just shared all the things that you could do in an outbound strategy and tactics and social selling that tips that you know are, are new to me that I'm going to try out that not everyone can do. And we're going to end on this last note, which is commission structure. So what commission structure is your team on right now and, and what guidance are you giving the team on, on what to do and, and how this should play out? Commission so important. You know, we have a revenue based and a uh, consumption based, uh, you know, contribution based um, that is more impact driven. So okay. what's interesting. So our revenue based is all into the buckets. So we, in essence, have multiple buckets that are tied to and aligned to our primary missions um, as an organization and, and growth of our cloud business, right? So it's all tied to growth. And so those are cut and dry. You know, you've got a revenue-based uh, incentive that, you know, our, our teams are paid on. The other element, and this is kind of what I like to call the hustle stats, right? You know, the stats that don't show up in the box score, uh, but the ones that are all the more important. And it's um, the ones around the contribution-based uh, that are impact-driven. And one of the things that I get really grounded with the team on every year around this time, because it's mm -hmm. the beginning of a fiscal year, is I'll sit with them and really go back to role definition. And I'll really go back to the definition of high impact. A high impact player is somebody that um, not only is a leader amongst their customers and partners and their team, but is doing things that is being noticed and that is being able to contribute broadly across the organization. Now, there's some people that get 
opportunities to contribute very broadly within their teams. Some people that take and seize opportunities anytime that, you know, their skip level is available or a, a broader organization uh, can be uh, shared within. So if you're presenting on a broader team call or a market call or whatever the case may be. And the last element is when you kind of get that otherworldly um, you know, exposure. And uh, you, you can build toward that. Um, you know, I think I articulated a little bit of how I've been super, super yeah. blessed, fortunate here at Microsoft, because I've been given a lot of opportunities based on the successes of this team. Um, but you can make that happen too. The, the, uh, that CBI component is really based on, are you high impact? Are you mid impact? Are you a lower impact player? And uh, even a mid impact player, that's yep. You're hitting all the buckets, right? My fact yeah. is, you are next level, and uh, we are very fortunate to have some of those. But the competition is uh, is intense, and uh, it's just it's amazing to work with such a group of of high impact people. Any lasting recommendations you have on commission structure and what people should think about in this environment? Yeah, you know, look, it's uh, in, in this environment. I think it's really important to ensure that there is reward and recognition built into everything that you're doing. There's got to be some day to day uh, recognition. And I, I got a colleague of mine. He always says recognition's free, right? So there's some elements where you know you can be top of mind with your top contributors. You know, making sure that you're thinking about them when you release incentives, multipliers. Um, things like that that can get them some of those quick wins. Now, when you're thinking about a longer term commission structure, whether you're paying on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis or all of the above, um, make sure that it's very in line with what are core pillars for your team, what's going to move the needle the most for your organization. Um, you know, for instance, we're all based on cloud growth right now. But we have it split up in different buckets that are all important and they are weighted. There are different weights to those. So, you know, for one bucket, it may have a 35% weighted attainment, um, you know, whereas another bucket might be 10, 15, 20%. So be very cognizant of all of those elements and also make sure that it's structured in a way that incentivizes the right behavior. Because you definitely want to make sure that it's not constructed in a way that somebody benefits by selling a customer something that they don't want or need or, you know, cramming something into a deal just so that they can get paid. I think that's super important as you're constructing a commission structure. But, um, you know, structure in a way that pays for performance, but structure it in a way that incents the right behavior. Um, I love that. Incentivizing the right behavior is key. You know, it was when I did training, people were like, wait, I want my team to do this. And I was like, well, you should incentivize them to do so with the right behaviors. Otherwise, no one's going to do it, right? Uh, and whether it's social selling or prospecting or whatever it may be. So, Carson, thank you so much for your time uh, with these invaluable insights. And uh, we'll see you all next time on the next episode.